Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Howdy, WCC. It's good to see you. Thank you, George, for that prayer. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And Boone, is it your birthday today? Happy birthday, buddy. How old are you, 18, 19? All right, Hebrews chapter 5. We're continuing in our sermon series in the book of Hebrews. Um, let me say some introductory words before we actually start looking at Hebrew 5, uh, a couple of things. One, I want to thank Daniel for preaching last week. He filled in on last second notice, and uh, I love his series going through Leviticus. And as he mentioned, it really ties in well with uh, my series in the book of Hebrews. So I appreciate you, brother. Also, just some personal thoughts. Um, so we're going through the book of Hebrews, and the last time I preached, we were thinking about Jesus being our high priest. And one of the things we talked about was that Jesus learned obedience through suffering, or he experienced obedience through suffering. So we talked about Jesus being our high priest, our representative. He he went through suffering, tremendous suffering, and yet he remained obedient. He remained faithful when he went through that. Jesus drew near to the Father when he was suffering. And one one of the things I've been thinking about is this. Right after I preached on suffering, God brought some suffering into my life. <laughs> it's minor, but God brought some suffering into my life. So I preach on suffering, and then I get suffering. Uh, I got a buddy of mine who's very wise, but also very sarcastic. And he said, hey, why don't you preach on being healthy and rich? Just preach on that. <clears throat> it's probably should. And then, and then Topher sent me this Joe Osteen thing. Can you put that up? <laughs> or if it's not a Ferrari, I re- Rebuke it. I don't even know why they have rebuke it. Anyway, all right, take that stupid thing off. We don't want that up there. All right, so anyway, I've been going through some suffering lately, and frankly, just being honest, I'm disappointed in my reaction to the suffering. I've shared with some folks about this. Um, One of the things I was reminded of is you go through suffering in the moment, it's really hard. You You can prepare for it as best you can, but when you go through it in the moment, it's really hard, and I was just, there was a time I was discouraged, and by the way, just uh, just something I would encourage our church to do is encourage one another. That uh, It is, a lot of us get discouraged, and a lot of us don't get a lot of encouragement, and uh, so I would just, as a church family, just take time to just encourage one another. It's it, it may seem like a little thing, but even a little text or email or phone call, it means a lot, so... Um, anyway, my reaction to the suffering just wasn't the best. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm sharing this because I want to be honest with you. I, I don't want you to think that I have it all together all the time. So, so uh, I, know, I know that God puts us through suffering so we can grow and we can trust him more. God uses our suffering for our growth. And during suffering, we need to have an eternal perspective. We don't need to have a short-term perspective. And that should have been my reaction to suffering. But instead, you know what my reaction was? I just want it over. (laughs) 
I just want it to be done. I, I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to cry out. I, I cried out to the Lord, but I didn't want to think about how he could be teaching me. I just wanted it over. And it was, what I was doing was acting like a child. That's a childish reaction to say, I just want the boo-boo to be gone, right? That's the childish reaction to want immediate gratification, immediate relief. There's nothing wrong with getting relief. But when we go through suffering as God's people, we should seek to, to ask, how is God teaching me? And how can I press into Jesus more? So God, in other words, even through suffering, God wants us to grow in spiritual maturity. And that brings us to our sermon today. Because in the book of Hebrews, the writer is writing to Jewish Christians who were going through suffering. And their reaction was immature. And in this passage today, what we're going to look at, he's basically going to say to these people, grow up, people. Y'all need to grow up. In fact, that's the title of my sermon, Grow Up People, okay, because that's the, that's the passage. And I do, I, I want to give credit where credit is due, a guy named David Doran, uh, who's a pastor who's helped me understand this. So anyway, in Hebrews, the, the author's been writing about Jesus being our high priest. So let's look at Hebrews 5, verse 9. We, we looked at verses 9 and 10 last time. And he says in 9 and 10, he says, And being made perfect, talking about Jesus, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now right here, you expect the author to start talking about Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We expect him to talk about that, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he takes a detour and he starts giving them warnings. And the warning passage begins right here in Hebrews 5.11, and it goes all the way through Hebrews 6.12. So it's almost a full chapter. Now, the second part of the warning starts in Hebrews 6.4, and that's the one, honestly, people like to fight about because they, we like to talk about whether a person could lose their salvation. People like to argue about that. But the passage before it, Hebrews 5.11-6.3, that's a really important section about spiritual maturity. And we tend to skip over it, but that's the passage we're going to look at today, okay? So this is Hebrews 5.11 to, to 6.3. Let's read it, and then we'll walk through the, the passage verse by verse like we always do. All right, Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay, so in this section, the writer really drops the hammer a little bit. He gets onto these church members because they're becoming lazy and spiritually immature. And he brings the thunder a little bit. And sometimes we need that, right? Sometimes it's good for us to hear, you need to grow up. Sometimes it's good for us to hear that. So again, he's been talking about Jesus being the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he wants to keep teaching on that, but, but he has a concern. And he's saying in verse 11, he says, the concern is you're not going to understand this. He, he says in verse 11, he says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. He says it's hard to explain. 
Now, why is it hard to explain? It's not a problem with the writer's teaching skills. This dude is an amazing teacher. If you've read through the book of Hebrews, this guy is an amazing teacher, whoever wrote it. So it's not the problem with the teacher. Where's the problem? The problem is the congregation. The problem is the church, the people. That's what he says in verse 11. He says, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. These Christians have become dull of hearing. The same word can be translated as sluggish or lazy. Dull, you know, is the opposite of sharp. We say somebody is sharp in their hearing or in thinking. Well, dull is the exact opposite of that. So they've become dull. They've become lazy in their efforts to hear and apply the word of God. That they're, they're lazy. They're just not hearing and applying God's word to their day-to-day lives. And he's going to develop this thoughts more. Now, I'm going to give a few points in the sermon. I normally don't do that, but I'm going to give you some points. And point number one is this. Experience does not equal spiritual maturity. Experience does not equal spiritual maturity. And you can see this in verse 12. That's what he's saying in verses 12 and 13. Listen, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, by this time, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So he's saying experience does not equal spiritual maturity. These church members have been Christians for quite some time. And by this time, they should be able to teach others. They should be spiritually mature by now. But years of experience does not necessarily mean that a person is spiritually mature. He's, he's saying you've been, long, you've been believers long enough that you should be able to teach other younger believers. Now, he's not saying that everybody needs to be a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or whatever. What, but what he's saying is that every Christian should be able to teach the basics of the faith, to have some basic level of understanding of the faith so that they can teach younger Christians. Every Christian should be growing in their knowledge and in their understanding of God's word. And after enough experience, they should be able to teach the basics of the faith to others. But these people can't do that. And I, I wonder about us. Could, can all of us do that? So just think about your own life. He's saying to them, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. The basics of the faith. In other words, the ABCs of the faith. He says you need milk, not solid food. Again, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. So he's saying you should be growing, you should be moving on from the ABCs of the faith. He's saying you have all this experience as a Christian, you have all these years of experience in the church, but again, experience doesn't mean spiritual maturity. He's saying you're babies. You still need milk. You're living on milk, not solid food. He's saying you're spiritual babies. Now think about it. Is it okay to give a newborn baby a bottle of milk? Yeah, of course. That's what babies need. It's the same way with baby Christians. Baby Christians need milk. In other words, they need this, the basic teachings of the faith. You don't give a three-month-old baby a big old porterhouse steak, right? You don't do that. But by the time the kid is four or five or eight or ten or whatever, by then they're eating real food. If, if a kid is 14 years old and you're giving him a bottle of milk and like Gerber baby food, mashed up broccoli or whatever that nasty mess is, then, then something is wrong, Right? For babies, milk and baby food, that, that's good. That's fitting. But baby food and a bottle of milk is not fitting for adults. That's what he's saying. 
Let's, let's say you and I are going to meet for dinner at Longhorn, and we're there, and the waitress comes up and asks her for our order, and you say you're going to get a ribeye or filet or whatever, and so then the waitress turns to me, and I pull out my bottle of milk, and I say, no, I'm good, I'm good, and I start sucking on my bottle of milk there in Longhorn. Something is wrong with me, right? I mean, something is ser- people have said that before. Something is seriously wrong with you, okay? It's weird. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. He's saying you guys should be feeding on the meat of God's word. You, should be, you guys should be taking the deep truths of God's word and applying it to your lives, but you're not doing that. Instead, you're, you're sucking on a bottle of milk. Think about it this way, too. Think about it this way. If, if a kid's been in the first grade for 12 years, that kid has not had 12 years of schooling, right? That kid has had one year of schooling repeated 12 times, right? It's the same way for Christians, The fact that a person has been a Christian for 30 years does not mean they have 30 years of increasing experience as a Christian. It could be that you've had one year of experience as a Christian repeated 30 times. So again, experience does not equal spiritual maturity. He says something similar in Hebrews 6.1, and I'm taking some of these verses out of order because I want to kind of develop the thought. But if you look at Hebrews 6.1, it says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Okay, I'm going to stop there. When he says, when he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, he doesn't mean this. He doesn't mean that we forget about the basics of the faith. He's saying we don't, we're, we're not forgetting about Jesus, right? We're not forgetting about faith. Those are the basics. When he says we let us leave them, he doesn't mean that you, you never talk about them or never think about them again. And you can tell that from the context. What he's saying is you need to get the basics settled. You need to get the basics of the faith, the ABCs of the faith, settled and established. And then you build on those. You build on that foundation. So when he says, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, he means let's not continue just focusing on the ABCs of the faith. Let's get out of kindergarten level teaching and let's keep progressing. And you can tell that again from the context. It's it's like building a house. Notice, Notice he says this, not laying again a foundation. That's referencing how you build a building, how you build a house. If you're building a house, you lay the foundation, pour the concrete, the slab, basement, crawl space, or whatever, you get the foundation settled, and then you build the house. You build the house on the foundation. But after you lay the foundation, you don't keep on working on the foundation. So in a sense, you leave the foundation behind, meaning you keep work, you don't keep working on the foundation. So leaving it behind doesn't mean you walk away from the foundation. It means you, you build on it. But you don't spend 30 years laying a foundation, and all the while you're living out of a tent with a sleeping bag and a folding lawn chair or something, right? You have the foundation, and the point of the foundation is to build the house on the foundation. It's the same with our spiritual lives. You get the foundation. You don't leave the foundation. You don't leave behind the basics of the Christian faith. But once you get the foundation settled, you don't keep monkeying around with the foundation. You don't keep waffling around about what you believe about Jesus, or you don't keep waffling around about the basics of the Christian faith. You don't keep messing around with the foundation. That's not how you build a house, and it's not how you build your life on Christ. 
No, when you build a house, you lay the foundation, and then you start building the actual structure. And that's what he's saying with the Word of God. You lay the foundation, and then when you get that settled, and you have that solid foundation for your life, for your soul, based on God's Word, now you start building your life on that foundation. And then he gives these examples. And this is uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, not laying again a foundation. Here's the examples that he gives. He says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but the point is these are just examples of foundational beliefs that you need to get settled early on in your Christian life. So he mentions repentance from dead works and faith toward God. These are foundational beliefs, right? Like repentance of sin, returning away from sin every day, making a decision to turn away from sin, to walk away from sin, and faith toward God, putting your trust in the Lord, turning to God, turning to Christ. These are foundational beliefs that every baby Christian should be doing. Verse 2, it says, instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. Now, there's some debate about this. Uh, Is he talking about Old Testament rituals or basic Christian teachings? Honestly, it's not clear. Because remember, the writer of the Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers. And he he could be saying the Old Testament washing rituals. Those are foundational in the sense that they point to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. It's the same with the Old Testament laying on of hands. Pastor Daniel, his last message, been preaching about Leviticus, about how you had the animal sacrifice and they would lay hands on the animal before sacrificing it. Well, that sacrifice, as Daniel said, points to Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice who takes away sin. So the writer could be talking about Old Testament washings and rituals because he is talking to Jewish believers. Or he could be talking about the basics of the Christian faith, like washings, like baptism, right? Laying on of hands. A lot of times they would lay hands on somebody when they baptized them or when they prepared them for ministry, something like that. So there's some debate about this stuff. But whether he's talking about Jewish Old Testament stuff or beginnings of the Christian life, either way, the point's the same. He's saying these are the basics of the faith. They're part of the foundation. So you get the foundation settled and then you build on it. Then he mentions this. He mentions the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Again, he's saying these are basics. These are foundational. Now, end time stuff, end time stuff, the word, the big word is eschatology. End time stuff, a lot, a lot of the details are unclear, right? I don't, I don't know anybody that has every single detail about end time settled. But when he says, look what he says, he says the doctrines like the resurrection and eternal judgment, these are foundational. These, these, are, these are foundational in the sense that these are basic truths about things that are easy to understand and they're settled. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to judge the world. and He's going to raise his people from the dead. And the Lord is going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. And it's going to be awesome. I pray for that just about every day. Now the details about how that's going to happen, those aren't clear. But the basics about God's judgment... And the basics about the resurrection life to come, these are easy to understand and they're foundational to the Christian faith. They're basic teachings of the faith. Now, I want to make a point right here. 
And, and I, don't, I don't like busting on other churches. I rarely do it because it isn't helpful most of the time. But I'll just say this. It is sad to me that in our culture today, a lot of churches never even talk about God's judgment. A lot of churches never even talk about the resurrection. And he's saying these are basic foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. But a lot of churches never even talk about these basics, about God's judgment and the resurrection life to come. They never even get to the basics. Right? Instead, they spend all their time talking about the things of this world, how to have a happy life, time management, how to be prosperous, whatever. Right? So some churches and some Christians never even get to the foundational beliefs of the faith. But then there are other churches, they never get beyond the ABCs of the faith. They have the same teachings over and over and over again. They never go on to maturity. They keep trying, in other words, they keep trying to mess around with the foundation. They keep going back to the bottle of milk. How about this? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And we're going to talk about that every single week, right? Or, or, or God wants you to be prosperous or have a positive attitude or if it's not a Ferrari, I rebuke it, right? And we're going to talk about that every single week. It's the same thing over and over again. We were at a church in Texas. It was a decent church. I was a young Christian, but every single sermon was this. I'm not kidding. Every single sermon was accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and tell others about Jesus. Every single sermon was that. That was it over and over again. And I was a young Christian. I was struggling at that point because I thought, is this all Christianity is about? Yeah, it's true. This is milk. It's foundational. But is this all that Christianity is about? Well, it's not all that it's about. There's a lot more in the Bible about that. But that's what I was being taught. So the church, again, was just laying the foundation over and over again, giving spiritual milk every single week. And the book of Hebrews says, stop doing that and grow up. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Now, there's nothing wrong with a simple gospel message, right? It's great. We need that. But the writer here is saying the foundation is great, yeah, but you've got to build on top of the foundation. You need to grow up. Grow up, people. That's what he's saying. You don't keep going back to the bottle of milk. You don't keep going back to the foundation. Start acting like a spiritual adult. That's what he's saying. All right, so again, you could be a Christian for a long time and still be a spiritual baby. So that's point number one. Experience does not equal spiritual maturity. Point number two is this. You can actually become more spiritually immature. You can become more spiritually immature. I'm going to go through this quickly, but it is possible to become more spiritually immature. In other words, not only is it possible to stop growing, you can actually regress and get less mature. You can become more spiritually mature. You can go backwards in your level of maturity. And you can see this in verses 11 and 12. If you go back to 11 and 12, he says, It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Underline the word become in there. He says, You have become dull of hearing. In other words, at one time you, were, you had sharp hearing. One time you were listening and applying God's word to your life, but now you're not doing that. You're becoming lazy. You're actually becoming more immature. Same thing in verse 12. He says, for though this, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again 
I want to underline that one again. You you used to apply the basics of the faith to your life, but now you're not doing that. You need someone to teach you the basics again. In other words, you can go from a level of spiritual maturity up here, and you can actually drop down and become less spiritually mature. Now, here's the thing. When we think about that, we go, how can that be? I don't understand how that could be. Because it's not like we forget facts like it's not like one day we know all about Jesus and we wake up the next morning and go I have no idea who Jesus is right we, we know facts we can still know the truth most of the time the people I've talked to who become spiritually immature they can tell you the things that that are true they can tell you bible facts so so how is it that this can happen how can a person regress and go backwards in their spiritual maturity I think the key is understanding what we mean by spiritual maturity. And this is point number three, and I've hinted at it, but I'm going to spell it out now. This is point number three. It's a definition of spiritual maturity, and here it is. Spiritual maturity is knowing and applying God's word to your everyday life. It's knowing and applying. It's the applying part. It's hard. Applying God's word to your everyday life. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's not just having Bible facts or doctrinal knowledge. You can know a lot of Bible and be spiritually immature. So it's, it's not just Bible knowledge. And by the way, I, this, I almost never do this, but I think what I'm going to talk about here is so important. After the sermon is posted online, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to this part of the sermon again. Because I haven't delved into this kind of stuff too much before. And I think it's just huge, okay? So again, spiritual maturity is knowing and applying God's word to your everyday life. And you can see that in verse 14. This is, a, this is such an important verse. It was confusing to me when I first read it. But this, this verse 14 is just so important. He says this, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have, this is the key, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is just massively important. I cannot overemphasize how important this is because what the writer is doing is he's saying a person who is spiritually mature, they have their powers of discernment, powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, distinguishing good from evil in your day-to-day lives, making decisions, making good decisions, living for Christ in your day-to-day life. That's the difference between spiritual maturity and immaturity. Spiritual maturity is not just knowing Bible facts. You can know a lot of stuff about the Bible and be very immature spiritually. But a spiritually immature person is a person who does not apply. In other words, who isn't discerning. That's a key word, discernment. Also distinguish. That's another key word, distinguish. Distinguishing good from evil in your own life. So discerning. And distinguishing. Listen to this. This is Philippians 1. You ladies have been going through Philippians. Listen to this. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Very similar. Paul says this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So your love may grow. But not just loving. The love may grow with, with knowledge and all discernment. Okay? So that you may approve what is excellent. Your discernment with the knowledge, with your love, this, this discern ability to tell good from bad, 
Ability to, as he says, approve what is excellent. So approving what is excellent in your own life, what is good in your day-to-day lives, being obedient, growing in the knowledge of God's word and applying it to your day-to-day lives. In other words, making right choices, discerning good from evil in the day-to-day decisions you make. That's discernment. It's, it's, that's Philippians, the same concept here in Hebrews. We're to grow in knowledge. Why? What's the goal? It's not so we can win some trivia game on Bible trivia, right? The goal is that we may discern good from evil. We may distinguish good from evil in our day-to-day lives. This is spiritual maturity. And notice how spiritual maturity comes about. It's so important. Look at verse 14 again. He says, trained by constant practice. Trained by constant practice. This is life-changing. Listen. Listen, I want you to care about your soul. First of all, let me say this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would just say this. As our memory verse says, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Don't forfeit your soul. Turn away from pleasing yourself. Give your life to Christ. Care about your own soul. Don't forfeit your soul. And if you're a Christian, I want you to nurture your soul and grow in spiritual maturity. How do you do that? The way you grow in spiritual maturity, the way you care for your soul is you have these powers of discernment, right? Telling good from evil in your day-to-day life, trained by constant practice. Constant practice. That's how you grow in spiritual maturity. You constantly practice. You constantly practice making the right decisions, making decisions to do good and not evil. You constantly practice making decisions to follow Jesus every single day. Making decisions to apply God's word to your life every day. You practice and you evaluate yourself. The Bible calls us to examine ourselves. You examine yourself. You think about what you did wrong. It's like me with my suffering. You think about how you responded. You know what? You'll mess up. We all do. You'll sin. But you respond to that by repenting, turning in a different direction. And as our memory verse says, we practice every day taking up our cross denying to our selfish desires every day, right? Dying to self, living for Christ every day. We practice that. We constantly practice it. This is how you grow in your faith. Now, here's the warning. This is the scary part. If you choose evil instead of good, and you know it's evil, right? There there are things in your life. You have sinful desires in your life right now, and you know if you give in to them, that's evil. And if you give in to that, if you choose evil instead of good, if you make a practice of choosing evil, that makes it more likely that you'll choose evil again. That's just the way it is because you're practicing it and you're doing harm to your soul when you do that. But when we practice being obedient, choosing the good instead of evil, when we do this in our day-to-day lives, not only do we grow spiritually, but think about this. When you practice choosing the good, it makes it easier next time to make the right decisions. Making a practice of choosing the good, that in itself makes it easier to choose good next time. So spiritual formation is in large measure just practicing the good. That's what he's saying here. Dying to selfish desires every day is how you grow. All right, what does it look like in a practical way? Real fast, here's the main thing I would encourage you to do. (laughs) Is just spend some time planning. Spend some time planning how you can grow in your understanding of God's word. Listen, children don't make plans, right? Kids don't make plans. 
Adults make plans. So if you're going to be a spiritual adult, you need to just spend some time planning how you can grow in applying God's word to your life. Just take time by yourself and think about how you can plan to grow in applying God's word to your life. Just spend time praying and asking the Lord, Father, what can I do so I can grow in my understanding of your word? What can I do so I can grow in applying your word to your life? Just spend some time planning it out. Plan a schedule so that you're in God's word. You're praying, you're applying his word. You're spending time with the Lord, thinking and planning this. Something else I would like, just being candid, I would like our church to do more is to start thinking more about the sermon on Sunday morning. I'd like for us as a church, as a church family, to spend time in the following week thinking about Sunday's sermon. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to, 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 again, start taking some notes during the sermon. Maybe just a couple of sentences. Maybe just be a couple of sentences, write something down, and then you look over it the next week once or twice. It's not a huge thing. But that is a practice that you can use to apply God's word to your life. And we can do that as a family. If you're not a note taker, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon or part of the sermon online. And if we started doing this, right, if we started doing this, we wouldn't forget the sermon five minutes after church is over, right? Because many of us do that. If you have no idea what the sermon was about by the time you're eating lunch, you know what? You're dull of hearing. You're a child. You're a baby. So let's, again, let's grow up. For example, I've been preaching on Jesus being our high priest, our representative. He is our representative in the throne room of God. Have you given that any thought at all? Has that influenced your prayer life at all? Have you spent any time at all thinking about Jesus being our high priest? Now, I'm dropping the thunder a little bit like the writer of the Hebrews, right? If you haven't been thinking about that, then you're being spiritually immature. You're being dull of hearing. You're being lazy. Okay, so that's point number three. Spiritual maturity is knowing and applying God's word to your everyday life. All right, the final point is this. I'm almost done. This is point four. God is the one who gives the growth. God is the one who gives the growth. Look, look at the last verse today. It's Hebrews 6.3. He says this, and this we will do if God permits. Simple verse. He's talking about growing up. And he's saying we will grow up. We will grow in our ability to apply God's word to our day-to-day lives. We'll grow in in obedience. We'll grow in holiness. We'll go on to maturity if God permits. I've got so much I want to say about this now, but I'm going to keep it short. Growth in the Christian life, I'm going to give you a big word, but growth in the Christian life is what we call synergistic. Synergistic, S-Y-N, means together, like Synthesis or synthetic motor oil, it's together. So S-Y-N is, is together. Erg, E-R-G, is work. So synergistic is working together. Working together. And what that means is our growth in holiness, we grow in spiritual maturity. It's not you just working by yourself. It's not you just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It's also God's grace working in you. It's the Holy Spirit bringing about change in you. If God permits, that's what he says. God has to give the growth. God's the only one who gives the growth. So spiritual growth is synergistic. It's you working. It is you working, applying God's word, making good decisions. But it's not just you. It's also God's grace working in your life. He has to bring about the growth. 
The classic text for this is Philippians 2. Ladies, I'm jealous y'all are going through the Philippians because everything's about Philippians. But the classic text is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Listen to this. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work. You got responsibility. Work. But then the next verse is, for it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're to work. We got a responsibility. But God also works in you to produce the growth. So we're to take God's word and apply it. Make good decisions to be obedient. Repent. I'll tell you what, Luther is right. First, what is it, the first of the 95C thesis? All of the Christian life is repentance. It really is. It's a constant turning away from sin every day. Every day is turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. Every day. And in many cases, it, it doesn't get any easier, right? In many cases, you see your own sin. It's one of the hard things about growing. You see your own sin even more. Stuff that used to not bother you now tears you up. But every day, it's repenting. It's turning away from it. It's, it's taking God's word and applying. This is how we grow. This is how we nurture our souls. So, so again, plan on how you're doing this. Take some time to plan. Then draw near to the Lord. Trust in Jesus. So, again, yes, we work, but God's grace has to work in us if God permits. What if God doesn't permit? Then we won't grow. We have to rely on him, right? We got to rely on him. That means we need to press into him and beg him. So, again, point number one, experience does not equal spiritual maturity. Point number two, you can become more spiritually immature, Point number three, definition of spiritual maturity is knowing and applying God's word to your everyday life. And then point number four is God is the one who gives the growth. So I'm going to finish up. Bottom line, grow up, people, right? We all need to hear it. Grow up. You need to prepare the soil of your soul. You need to do everything you can to grow in maturity, to take the word of God and apply it to your lives. But ultimately, any growth that we experience is because the Lord is giving the growth. And he gets all the glory that way, right? He gets all the praise. This is how you grow. So we pray, we beg God to grow us, and then we trust him. We leave the results to him to bring about that growth. And again, so I'm speaking to us all. Let's stop being babies in the faith. Let's grow up and start taking some practical measures to grow in the faith, to become spiritually mature. And then when we do this, we do all this. We take all these steps not to exalt ourselves, but we do all this for the glory and praise of our great God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for these warning passages, Lord. I confess when I first read them, I don't like them. But I realize the fact that I don't like them, maybe I need them even more. So uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding writer to the Hebrews, to take this little detour to give us this warning passage. And I pray for folks here today. One, I pray for folks who are not believers. I really do pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts and they would turn away from their sin and filth and pleasing self and they would turn to you, Jesus, trusting in your atoning death and resurrection. They would just, just know your love in a real way. And for, for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, I do pray we would grow up. And you want us to do this because you're, you're, you love us. You care about us. You're a good, good father who loves your kids. And you want us to grow up. So help us in that, Lord. Help us. We need you so bad. It, it's only you 
that can bring about growth. So I pray for growth in my own life. I pray for growth for my beloved church family, whether they're young or old. I pray that you bring about real growth so that we would treasure you, Jesus, more. That's what it's about. We would treasure you more. We love you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.